If you're looking to sell your private company's stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than $4 billion in company-approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com slash equity. Hello and welcome to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Connie Voices, and today I am joined by TechCrunch's editorial manager, Danny Crichton. Hi. Hey, Danny. Uh, as well as for the first time on the podcast, TechCrunch's venture capital reporter, Kate Clark. Kate, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, before we begin our normal programming, Kate joined us just a few months ago. We are thrilled. Kate, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and what you're focused on these days? Yeah, so I joined TechCrunch in August, and I am the newest venture reporter. So usually that means SoftBank, Scooters, and Startups, three <laughs> S's. Um, but yeah, I cover startups large and small, kind of across all stages and all the VC fund drama. Well, you're killing it. We're happy to have you here. Um, and also, we are so excited to have Brad Tuhig, who is a new partner at Lightspeed Venture Partners, focused on sort of the growth stage end of the universe. Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so, Brad, this first deal that we're going to be talking about today is particularly relevant for you because your firm invested in it. It is um, Epic Games, uh, which is the publisher of Fortnite. Now, my family discusses Fortnite every, like, Fortnite and every day in between, basically because my sons complain to me that I am the only parent who's never let them play this game. You know, apparently, like, they're the last two kids um, in the universe who played Fortnite. Um, so, I don't know a lot about it. I do see it everywhere. I do know their friends are playing it. SNL just spoofed it. You may have seen Adam Driver was playing this sort of uh, clueless and secure uh, divorcee named Brad who was trying to connect with his kid by playing Fortnite. <laughs> so it's basically, correct me if I'm wrong, like a, a player, I mean, a game where there's like 100 people playing it at a time trying to sort of kill each other and then the winner is the last person standing. Sure. So, um, you know, Epic Games uh, game Fortnite um, is a first person shooter game. Uh, one of the game modes it has is what you're referring to, which is called Battle Royale, okay. which essentially drops 100 players into a game where either as an individual or collaborati collaboratively with a team, um, you go about trying to win the game by eliminating all the other characters in the game except for your team or if it's just you. So it's kind of like uh, almost like Hunger Games, if you will, Okay, uh, is a good kind of correlated if you've never played it, but you've seen or read Hunger Games, it's it's similar to that. Right, right, right. And you're playing with your friends, basically. So it's sort of like a social network uh, on top of a, a game. Yeah, I, well, that was actually probably one of the most interesting things about the game. I mean, the game's pretty much grown to everyone talking about it, including yourselves uh, at your home, even though your kids haven't played it yet, <laughs> or you think your kids haven't played <laughs> right, it right. yet. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, uh, has grown to 80 million users without really any need for marketing. Um, so it's grown because you have, uh, an audience of a hundred people being able to interact and speak with one another and spend time with one another in, inside of a collaborative and competitive gaming environment and virtual world. So is this mostly an American phenomenon or no, it's no. global okay. 80 million monthly active users, wow. tens of millions. And th these are published stats. So I feel pretty sure. confident sharing these portions of, because I can't totally share everything about Epic. Um, uh, but tens of millions of daily active players in the game globally, uh, globally located, as well as uh, cross-device, cross-platform. So one of the really big things uh, about Epic and one of the big uh, technology shifts in, in gaming, um, largely driven off the, the the technology that they built, which is called Unreal. Unreal Engine is a gaming engine to build these, these games on top of, mm -hmm. is 
your son could play on his iPad with his friend on an Xbox with his friend on a PlayStation all in the same game. Uh, before that, cross-platform gaming really didn't exist in this massive multi-environment. You'd have to either all be on PCs or all on Xbox. Mm-hmm. And that's a really unique phenomenon um, that's relatively new. And, and we've seen massive growth in the gaming category when you see these platform shifts, right? Whether it was onto social, whether it was onto mobile, um, and you see massive value creation in those, and it's underlying in a technology or or a platform. And in this case, what's unique about a business like Epic is they actually have built the underlying gaming engine that enables this technology. It's It was sort of very focused on that gaming engine, right? I mean, I think was it the idea that they were introducing games to sort of um, improve on that gaming engine. It just turned out that they had this m- sort of massive hit, perhaps somewhat unexpectedly on their hands. So now that's kind of the the point of uh, focus. Well, both. So Epic actually is a 25 plus year old company, depending on when you determine when the founders started Epic, because it went through a couple of different ch- uh, uh, life changes as what kind of business it was in the early okay. 90s and whatnot. But um, uh, the founder has been dedicated to this, I believe, since he since he graduated college or since he left college. Is that Tim Sweeney? Yeah, Tim. In terms of like, they've been actually creating super high quality uh, gaming titles uh, for a long time now. So you, you've heard of uh, games like Unreal Tournament or Gears of War, which are huge hits in more of the traditional console world. Okay. And that's really where the gaming engine was developed out of. Um, was them building these hit games in in console. But then they opened it up to a developer community. So anyone can download the Unreal Engine, learn how to develop, develop a game, and publish a game. And you can can download the game for free uh, or download the the gaming engine for free to start developing. Uh, And then as you release a game and have success with the game, there's different types of licensing that they offer. The the royalties Um, go back to the company. Once you commercialize commercialize your game. How is um, Fortnite charging customers it's free to play okay um and then they've really innovated in a couple of different areas one they kind of release these seasons so they've gone into this episodic season passes um and in each one there's a bit a whole bunch of content characters uh as well as gameplay that's kind of released in each one of these seasons Mm -hmm. and and you pay for uh, being able to advance your levels within that season faster and to start at a higher level and to have access to more game skins and those types of things. So um, it, it really is a, a episodic content purchase mm-hmm. is kind of how it's how it's uh, evolved Has into. Company- but it's free to play. You can download it and play it without ever paying Epic. A, right, right, a right. And then it's all sort of virtual goods. Mm-hmm. Has the company released... How much money it's making from these 80 million users every month? No. No. Okay. So the big headline here is the company raised $1.25 billion this week, which is a huge amount of money. It was led by KKR, Iconic Capital, Vulcan Capital, which was Paul Allen's firm, Kleiner Perkins, and your firm, Lightspeed Venture Partners. Um, And this is the first sort of big institutional round the company has raised, uh, from my understanding. It's raised money in the past or it had strategic deals with Tencent, uh, the Chinese company, and with Disney. Um, Why why now? Well, I, I think, and 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 I don't want to speak for for Epic, but but I think Epic was looking to bring in additional investors to help them think through the next phase of of growth for the business. Mm-hmm. I think the interesting thing is it's hit such a scale 
at this point where they can really take a step back and stop worrying about quarter to quarter, month to month performance Mm -hmm. of the game or financial performance of the company, though they are, you know, very focused on having a healthy and and successful company. But really think about how do we build a longstanding next generation media business? How do we uh, how do we actually take this market position and this relationship we've built with 80 million monthly active users and extend it to new digital experiences uh, in a virtual world environment. Um, and in doing so, they wanted to bring on additional investors who could help them just think through uh, all of the different kind of vectors and areas for opportunity for them to kind of uh, build that next generation business. Mm-hmm. And and there's a lot of interesting things which I can't go into because uh, I don't want to game spoilers or release spoilers mm-hmm. around this. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a lot of uh, new interactions, new experiences that they're looking to create. And and they're at a very enviable position. I don't think you see many businesses which all of a sudden are at this massive scale and have this opportunity where they can really like take a, a deep breath and and think through how do we really impact and change the world. Mm-hmm. Like and and you're already seeing it in terms of just like how uh, engaging the product has been. I think if you like Google and search through news alerts, like Major League Baseball and NHL, like yeah. they've been yelling at their players for playing the game too much. <laughs> Seriously, Actually, it, was cited, it was cited by some <laughs> British company for as a like a rising reason for divorces. Oh my or, god, or playing a factor. But um, I also want to know is, is esports I, uh, on I, the, correlation? I don't know if it's causation. <laughs> right, right. There's probably yeah. But is esports? I mean, speaking of uh, of athletics uh, or athletes, excuse me. Um, I, I think I think is that public that it's. Well, I think they're they're funding, and this is very public. They're they're funding prize pools, right, for the users in in playing the games and and encouraging esports. So the most popular uh, stream Twitch uh, game by an order of magnitude over everyone else uh, and every other game. But you look at other businesses like Activision's Overwatch and a few of these other large um, uh, gaming gaming businesses with large virtual worlds worlds to them and esports is becoming ever more present ever sure. more popular uh and it's kind of a new user behavior right from like end users and where they're choosing to spend their time mm-hmm. maybe it's not in traditional tv and you can even see that in the tv research right like younger generations are not watching tv mm-hmm. uh as as much in terms of hours uh and are actually choosing to spend their time on places like youtube on twitch right. uh in esports and games and more in immersive experiences as opposed to analog experiences so i i, I think it's something that's very much a focus and understanding it. And in their in their press release uh, around the funding, I do believe they mentioned an eSports league that actually invested oh. in the um, in the round. I, I can't pronounce the name of the 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 uh, axiomata, I think is the name of it. I think it's axiomatic. Axiomatic. Oh, right, right, right. With Michael um, Jordan's involved in it. Some, uh, yeah. Hey, everyone. Don't forget, this episode is brought to you by SharesPost. Before we move on, Brad, since we have you captive here, and it was a huge round, and this is one of the hottest companies going right now, can you maybe shed a little light on how that deal came together? Because I'm guessing it was probably one of the most sort of oversubscribed in the parlance of VC uh, rounds to happen in 2018. <laughs> um, I think there was a lot of demand to to invest in Epic. Um, 
the the round was very much a decision of the company. The company doesn't need to raise financing. Mm-hmm. It was not a focus of, hey, we need to raise financing. They were looking to add to their shareholder base mm-hmm. um, in order to help them think through kind of where do they take the business, but very much uh, driven by the founders and the management team and the company themselves and and. Tim and his management team are very much still the decision makers and driving that business forward. So it was it was more of a opportunistic. They had a lot of interest. And they're only, I, I think, Fortnite launched June, July of last year. Mm, I mean, wow. it it is only a year and change old. And there's so much left to do. Like, I think that's where a lot of the, even as we were talking about it from an investment committee perspective, you're like, oh, why haven't they done this yet? Why haven't sure. they done this yet? Why? And right. you're like, it's only a year old, guys. Like, <laughs> a um, year old, but twenty-five years old. It's it's a, certainly like a mm-hmm. super interesting story. Uh, it's an ex- it is one of those where, particularly in games, you can hit a zeitgeist pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And and yes, it's the probably the longest like overnight success story ever in a <laughs> right. twenty-five years of dedication to the industry. Absolutely. Well, um, hope it, hopefully, it's inspiring to other founders out there who are struggling. Um, so, speaking of Epic and Fortnite and Tencent being an early partner, Danny, I know that you'd wanted to talk a little bit about Chinese IPOs that are not doing so well. Can you tell us what's going on? Well, absolutely. So, PitchBook's data shows that um, Tencent purchased a 48% stake in Epic in 2012 for 660 million bucks. So, so Epic is really a huge win for the company. But Tencent has hit a huge amount of trouble this year, uh, partially because of a video game crackdown in China. So, the, the company has actually lost a quarter trillion in market cap um, just in the last three or four months, and that is also sort of spooling out to the rest of the consumer world in China. So, two of the IPOs that we've talked about on this show, uh, Xiaomi and uh, Yelp like competitor uh, Meitu and Tianping have both lost between 30 and 40% of their share value um, just in the last 30 days. And so I think, you know, when you look at all the success from some of these consumer plays, it's interesting to see how overheated the Chinese market has really become. We've talked about it extensively, I think, on this show and on TechCrunch. But a lot of those valuations are really come down to earth. And I think the question is, is, is this pattern going to also apply to Silicon Valley? You know, are, are some of the IPOs or even some of the acquisitions we're going to talk about, I think, Red Hat a little bit later, you know, are these prices reasonable or are we suddenly going to look back and say, wow, 40 percent is, is you know, uh, an easy haircut off the top? Yeah, I don't know, Brad, if you have any thoughts about this. Uh... Well, I, Lightspeed private investor and private companies, I think we try to think less about the short-term market Mm -hmm. adjustments Mm -hmm. and try to think about long-term, like how large is the addressable market that you're going after. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're a little less exposed, I I would say, Mm -hmm. to thinking through, oh, stocks are up or stocks are down. We do think about the prices that we pay for businesses. And, and, you know, right now it is a market with a lot of capital in it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of investing going on in, in venture. I think what I read off PitchBook was like $100 billion of venture capital being invested into the market this year. I could mm-hmm. be wrong about that, right? Yeah, but, I think no, it's going to sounds... be a record year at least um, the So like, and, and I've been investing in growth stage software and internet companies for 12 and a half years now or 13 years almost. Um, and so, yes, I, I would tell you, you know, we are going through a, a market cycle in the private markets from just there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of capital in the market um, in the public markets and the adjustments um, in the public markets. We worry less about that. I think we're more focused on, like, does this address a large problem? Is this a special company and is it a long term endearing brand? Mm-hmm. Um, which when you start talking about the Red Hat 
um, IBM acquisition, I mean, Red Hat is a long-term endearing brand in open source and cloud computing. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you've seen those shifts, you've seen a market interest from a large strategic like IBM and tying up with um, an open source uh, cloud computing business like, like Red Hat. So uh, I think if you take a long-term view, these short-term shifts and pivots in the market um, – shouldn't affect your investing thought processes, but you just have to be mindful of what the prices you're paying on the way in. Um, you know, I don't know if I haven't been tracking the performance of um, the Chinese companies that have come public on in the US. But um, I mean, you know, we've talked week after week about how, you know, there have been so many offerings, I think they've actually outpaced um, their US peers when it comes to IPOs on the US stock exchanges this year. Um, so I, you know, I don't know, do, do, do you think like the sort of this ongoing tariff, uh, you know, war disagreement, um, is having an effect on China based, uh, companies that went public in China or will have a more of an impact on China based companies that went public here in the U S well, I think certainly, I mean, the tariff war, if you will, um, has been going on for several months, but look, this was a banner year for the Hong Kong stock exchange. There's been more than 160 mm-hmm. IPOs this year, more than $30 billion of, of primary capital raised on the market. Um, and so it is just a crazy year. I think what's happening is, you know, as with all sort of bubbly kind of hot markets, you know, there's a huge surge mm-hmm. of investor interest. There's a couple, you know, including Xiaomi, which is one of the largest, you know, outside of Alibaba, one of the largest Chinese IPOs. And so you just had all this money flowing in that now people are sort of taking mm-hmm. the double tech uh, and thinking more about it. Um, but talking about another subject on this front as well. Uh, talking about ups and downs is is the the crypto space, uh, which also has a, a bit of a Chinese influence right. as well. But um, you know, kind of talking about what Brad was just saying is, um, you know, investors don't necessarily need to flee just because prices are going up and down. And, and clearly, uh, Coinbase this week has had a huge amount of uh, additional capital come in. Uh, Kate, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so this week Coinbase closed its uh, long rumored three hundred million dollar financing that valued the company at eight billion dollars. Now, this round was notable for a lot of reasons. One being that it made Coinbase in the top ten most valuable venture back companies in the U.S. So it's now in a club with Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, Stripe, and a bunch of other companies we all know and like to talk about. <laughs> Not only that, but it's now more valuable than all cryptocurrencies except for Bitcoin. Ethereum and Ripple, which is also kind of a crazy nugget if you think about it. I think I think it's uh, clear that uh, Coinbase has a very expansive vision on what financial services mean, and I think they have a, a real opportunity. You know, I think a lot of the investors are looking at the number of accounts that Coinbase has, the number of consumers it's touching, and going, "Look, you know, the future of financial services could really be crypto. It could really be blockchain. Um, this is the company. This is the one company that's coming through that could, could potentially own that entire space." Um, and you, I think we saw the same thing with Robinhood earlier this year. Um, there's some others, you know, around the world that are taking advantage of this, but I think Coinbase is just, at least on a brand front has just become the definitive, you know, blockchain sort of trading app. And, and that's a really strategic place to be. Yeah. So Tiger Global led the latest round for the company, which was its series E, and it now has raised $525 million to date. And as I mentioned, it's now more valuable than most cryptocurrencies, which, as Alex wrote in a recent post on TechCrunch, that actually makes sense because if it's going to be, you know, this huge new finance institution, then it actually needs to be more valuable than the currencies on the platform. Mm-hmm. So realistically, it's actually not where it needs to be, which is more valuable than even Bitcoin. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, everyone's sort of looking at the price of cryptocurrencies as compared with Coinbase. But I think what's interesting about this company is its vision to become, you know, the next sort of stock market, which we talked about before. Brian Armstrong spoke at our uh, Disrupt event in um, September here in San Francisco, and he essentially said, um, you know, that that's exactly what they want to do. Um, so this is somebody, this is a six-year-old San Francisco company that's, you know, very, very ambitious. Um, it does have sort of big com competitors around the world. Um, but it seems sort of a little bit like game over in the U.S. Or is, do you think it's too soon to say that, Brad? Since I, you know, I so I spend less of my time in, in crypto, but I'll give you my general novice thoughts mm -hmm. in the matter. I, I like because there are a lot of people who literally spend their entire venture career only in crypto at this point right. because of how transformative they view this portion of the market to be. I, I think it goes back to the first portion of it, which is this whole idea of uh, financial services sector fundamentally changing, particularly for younger individuals. Right. You look at the new banks, Re revolutes, the um N26, I think, is the one out of Germany on these next generation banking applications, personal finance applications, mm -hmm. robo advisors, crypto exchanges. And there's a lot of discussion and thought processes around building the retail accounts because retail accounts actually uh, prove to be extraordinarily sticky. Mm -hmm. um, and there's been some very large businesses. I think people underestimate, and maybe you could look up really quickly for me, but uh, Charles Schwab is worth tens and tens and tens of billions I of dollars. Like 70 billion. Yeah, and like mm -hmm. it's sneaky big, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's an argument to be made. There's a next generation version of that. And I think Charles Schwab has uh, no, I haven't studied this stock all that mm -hmm. much because I'm a private investor, but like they've, they've acquired robo, robo advisors. They've really invested in technology mm -hmm. and, and that next generation of financial services. And so like, I think Coinbase is probably just another representation of a fundamental shift in, in kind of how we think about both personal finance, because Coinbase does have a whole bunch of consumer portion to it. Mm -hmm. And then as well, this whole question of cryptocurrency and what is cryptocurrency and like, what is it going to mean for, for the broader broader market. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of the markets that it is serving as well are these emerging markets, which have less stability around their own uh, domestic currencies. Yeah, it's um, not clear to me. So I think, you know, Charles Schwab and um, and uh, E-Trade, E-Trade's um, done sort of, I think, very poorly in comparison. I think it's it's um, market cap, I don't know, as of a couple of months ago, it was like 15 billion. Um, but I think they are threatened by companies like Robinhood, who, which do sort of see themselves as becoming kind of like full service financial mm -hmm. um banks. I don't know with Coinbase. I honestly, I don't know if it sort of wants to be a, a stock exchange or a bank or both. It, it didn't, it abandoned some plans to create like a, an index fund sort of product. Anybody following that? I, 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 I think I read about that. I think there's a lot of SEC regulations and things to figure out. Mm -hmm. um, there's clearly a lot of volume and a lot of trading on cryptocurrencies from a total amount of dollars, mm -hmm. go, dollars as well as crypto to crypto exchange. And this is where I turn into a novice very quickly. Right. There's so. clearly a lot of, given the profitability and scale um, at businesses like Coinbase, and I don't know the financials there, so you, you can read up and, and make your own assumptions around it. There is a lot of dollars going into the broader market from and consumers and buyers, people who are interested in owning these assets. Mm -hmm. And then the question is, is like figuring out the, you know, SEC as well as all the different regulatory bodies that will care mm -hmm. about crypto. 
is very complicated and being in a in a scale position to mm-hmm. figure that out mm-hmm. there's huge advantages to it things like regulation can be an advantage for companies once they're at scale because you're there with all the people resources and experience necessary to address the concerns mm-hmm. and to help continue to legitimize the the space and make it as safe as possible, hopefully, for, for for everyone involved in it. And it seems like Coinbase has made a lot of hires toward that end. I think people with, you know, sort of regulatory backgrounds or who've worked in sort of traditional yeah, banking. Has. Uh, one thing that's sort of interesting, I did see that the head of trading, um, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Hunter Murghardt, uh, had resigned recently from the company just six months after... Um, joining. And he followed out the door another uh, executive who hired him, Adam White, um, who left earlier this month to become the COO of uh, a new crypto trading platform um, called Bakht. So it's interesting. I mean, I guess it's a big enough company now that we shouldn't be sort of surprised by people coming and going, especially somebody uh, who's been there for six years already, Adam. But I, th- I thought it was sort of interesting that this other guy kind of came in and, and turned out as quickly as he did. Yeah. I mean, they've had tremendous growth really fast. Mm-hmm. Just only a year ago is when they entered the unicorn club with their $100 million round. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's too surprising. They've had a number of executive hires. Mm-hmm. I think, meanwhile, which is probably why I don't even remember those because I was too distracted by the like six or seven, <laughs> right, six right, or right. seven new like C-suite hires just in the last since I've been at TechCrunch. So I'm just in the span of a couple of months. And I guess there's some sort of secondary component to this offering. So they just raised three hundred million dollars, but apparently there's two hundred million dollars that's sort of coming together uh, in a secondary. Uh, but also interesting here, Recode had reported maybe back in. September, August, that um, the company was raising money at a $12 billion valuation. So $8 billion is a huge, huge jump. It's not quite as big as $12 billion. I don't know what that means. Do you have any thoughts, Brad? I mean, you don't you don't really see it that often where something leaks where the valuation actually is sort of, you know, off by a... In this market, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess right, right. A lot of in this market, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how much uh, I take stock in rumors at this point. Right. Um, and having been on this side of the table from an investor perspective, mm-hmm. the arc and shape of a deal continues to evolve until it's closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, reading into rumors, this person was in, or this person was out, right. or it was oversubscribed like this. Like I often find that. The external reporting is different than internal. I don't know mm-hmm. in the case of, of Coinbase. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's something where, like, I wouldn't put too much concern in and around, mm-hmm. like, the valuation said it was going to be here, but it looked like that. Right. But then um, what else would we be talking about, Brad? <laughs> I, I, totally I, I, no, it's just it, like... <laughs> It can get very complicated. Sure. Uh, well, it, well, it's uh, well, it's happening. Right, right. And again, um, there's been so many zigs and zags in this market. It's you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure that's had some. Yeah, sort I of think effect. with that Recode report, they had obtained some kind of like pitch from Coinbase, and Coinbase was valuing themselves at twelve billion dollars in okay. their pitch. Mm-hmm. I think maybe they investors brought them back down to reality a little bit, although eight billion dollars is still right quite right, enormous. Right. Great, great. I value myself at twenty billion. So there you go. <laughs> I'm selling equity <laughs> right now. You can buy one percent. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we would be remiss not to talk about the biggest uh, deal of the week, which Brad referenced earlier, which is uh, IBM's acquisition of Red Hat. Danny, I know you've probably been following this more closely than I have. Uh, I mean, it's absolutely it's the largest software acquisition in history. So IBM uh, for at 160, uh, sorry, 190 dollars per uh, share in cash. 
um, and valued Red Hat, uh, an open source provider, sort of enterprise uh, software at $34 billion. And, and and really, like when you listen to the talks with, with uh, IBM CEO, I mean, she is just giddy about and excited about the potential here. I mean, uh, IBM back in the day had bought SoftLayer, uh, which was a cloud services provider. And, and that's sort of it's still around, but in my mind has disappeared. And so this is really like take two, I think, for IBM to, you know, really double down on the cloud, really to get into those flows and to move beyond the sort of Watson marketing that you've heard the last two to three years. Yeah, I like, well, I'd first like to shout out to all the people who dedicated their lives to open source software, because if you rewind back to the 90s, oh, that's not a viable business model. That's not a that's not a real thing. Um, and now for Linux to come all this way forward and to even view, even look at how much Microsoft is embracing open source with the purchase of, of uh, GitHub um, and now with IBM buying uh, Red Hat just uh, really proves how the collaborative nature of the technology ecosystem is able to create an enormous amount of value, not just for, for Red Hat, but all the other open source businesses that, that have been created. Um, and then the services and and uh, and support that's been wrapped around that to to create viable business models. So um, I think it's a pun intended tip of the hat um, <laughs> to uh, to kind of open source open source communicate community and the de- dedication that they that they've had. Um, when you look at IBM's acquisition, I think it's also just a little bit of a credit to this idea that it's not just going to be all. Uh, public cloud. There's going to be hybrid clouds. There's going to be private clouds. Um, I was reading an article more recently that even a lot of the IBM acquisition, a, a Red Hat, and this isn't this isn't my necessarily thought process, but I, I think there's validity to it. Is the whole government sector, um, and you hear about that um, um, uh, cloud contract, the ten billion dollar cloud contract that the government currently has up for grabs, and like. Open source software around cloud infrastructure is going to be a major component of how that is going to be built for the government in just that one contract. And IBM has a huge business in government. Um, so to stay relevant and all that um, is kind of an exclamation point to, to why Red Hat could be so like instrumental for, for a business like IBM. Super interesting. And you think the price was right? Oh, I have no <laughs> yeah, commentary yeah, yeah. on how to value a business like like uh, that in the public market, but um, it was clearly worth it to IBM because they paid the price right, for right, it. Right. So, well, some, some these deals always seem so rich at the time, and then in retrospect, well, not all of them, but a lot of them look really. And smart. we're seeing more of this, right? So, just uh, a few hours ago, HashiCorp, which is an open source provider of cloud infrastructure automation, raised a hundred million at one point nine billion valuation. So, another uh, new unicorn on the market. So, I think we're going to see mm-hmm. more and more of the sort of open source. Um, you know, I think Brad nailed it, which is, you know, open source was always the graveyard of companies. And now, you know, the largest acquisition of all time comes from that space. So it just goes to show you how much those CCs change over time. I I would actually love to see a graph of how many open source companies didn't make it in the early 2000s and mid 2000s. And the one exit, I think my sequel would be the big one that would be sitting in my head of like the billion dollar outcome, Right. right? And now to like paint that graph, I don't have, I, I can't do that, but I'm sure you guys as reporters can go and, and build all of that awesome infographic that I will read for sure <laughs> um, of just the, the scale and change. And I bet a lot of it, if you mapped it 
to the like stock price change in in Red Hat. Mm -hmm. uh, like I would wonder if like you could actually build the logos underneath the the curve of it almost. Um, so this is a very specific visual. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Brad, you want to <laughs> go for it? What Brad wants to be our art go department. He's going to be director of art for TechCrunch. <laughs> um, He's a renaissance That'll be man. my second career. <laughs> anyway, guys, we have to get going. Everyone's out of time. But uh, Brad, thank you so much for coming. Kate, thank you for joining us. Danny, thank you. And Of course, uh, thank you. Yeah, thanks, thanks always to our producer, Chris Gates, as well. <laughs>